this morning, uh, we're going to be uh, in the book of John. I-, I love the book of John because it is constructed differently than the first three Gospels we read in the New Testament. The book of John is not synoptic in nature. It doesn't follow the same chronology or timeline that Matthew, Mark, and Luke utilize. The book of John is instead constructed around seven major miracles that Jesus performs and seven great I am statements that Jesus makes. The first comes from John 6 where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In John 10, he says, I am the door, and those who enter in through me will be saved. In John 10 and 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. In John 11 and 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14 and 6, he says, I am the way and the truth. And then finally, in John 15, he says, I am the true vine. This morning, we're going to be exploring the first of these great statements Jesus makes in John 6, and I believe that by God's Spirit, He's got something fresh and new for you today from the text. In John 6, starting off in verse 3, this is what the Scriptures say. Jesus went up on a mountainside, and He sat down with His disciples. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing with a a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? I want you to notice the language that Jesus utilizes in this text is actually repeated all across the New Testament. In John 4, Jesus tells the disciples, Do not save four months and then the harvest, but lift up your eyes for the fields they are ripe. In Luke 21, Jesus tells the disciples, Lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. In Acts 2, Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, and it says that he lifts up his voice. And in 1 Timothy 2, Paul instructs the church, Lift up your hands without wrath or doubting. And you know what I've found? You can't solve problems that you aren't willing to see. And you can't see a problem if you won't lift up your eyes. See, in November of 2014... A group of 400 folks in Sydney, Australia, decided to protest climate change by burying their heads in the sand at the local beach. I kid you not. I don't know about you, but this looks like a pagan worship service to me. And here's the reality. Everyone worships something. You know why the nightclub is still packed and the therapist's office is still busy and the bars are still slammed and the horoscopes are still read because everyone goes to church 
somewhere. It's scarier than this. Some people live their entire lives with the head in the sand. And then they have the audacity to get upset at people who are paying attention. Friend, at this point, if you're not outraged, it's because you're not paying attention. People in our world do this all the time. Oh, let's just pretend the government has your best interest in mind. Let's just pretend the culture ain't after your kids. Let's just pretend gender don't exist. Let's just pretend marriage is whatever you want. And while half the church has their head in the sand, pretending we aren't in the fight for our lives, the other half has their head in the clouds, not engaged with the world around them. No, faith isn't hiding out in a bunker waiting for the millennial reign of Christ. And faith isn't living in denial, pretending that the world doesn't teeter on chaos. Faith lifts up its eyes. It stares at the reality in front of them. It refuses to be moved by the storms around them. And it worships the God who lives inside of them while boldly declaring, my help comes from the Lord. And then I love what Jesus does next. He asks a question while already knowing the answer, just to reveal the heart of his disciple Philip. Where shall we buy bread that these multitudes might eat? But Jesus said this to test him. For he had already had in his mind what he was going to do. Aren't you glad that you serve a Jesus who already has in his mind what he is going to do on your behalf. He already knows about your healing. He already knows about your marriage. He already knows about your kids. He already knows about your provision. It's no wonder Paul says to the church in Corinth, eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has it entered into the human mind what God has prepared for those who love him. See, when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because we don't yet fully trust the provider it's why he asked the two blind men in Matthew 9 do you believe that I'm able to do this no God ain't asking so he can hear my advice God ain't asking so he can hear my opinion God's questions, they are a tool of his refinement. It lays bare the heart of man. It reveals the existential fears of life. It exposes where we have placed our trust. And ultimately, it helps develop the deep things of our spirits. Now, Philip answered him. He said, it would take more than half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And then one of his disciples, Andrew, said to him, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far is this going to go amongst so many? And Jesus said to them, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down and the number was about 5,000. See, Philip responds in the logical, it's too expensive. 
Andrew responds in the material. How far can this boy's lunch go among so many? And Jesus gets ready to respond in the supernatural. Yeah, to be honest, I feel like Philip as it pertains to a campus on the east side. God, it's too expensive. God, it'd be more than 10 years wages to pay for it. God, there ain't any way that we could ever have enough. But see, I got a sneaking suspicion that God never asks a natural question without getting ready to release a spiritual answer. You can take great comfort today knowing that God is intimately familiar with your limitations. You're not the great provider. He is. You're not the great strategist. He is. And if your vision can be accomplished in your own power it's not a vision worth giving your life for see your calling to do the impossible is a reminder of Christ's great sufficiency in the midst of your great lack see it's true without him you can do nothing but it is even more true that if you abide in him and his words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done on your behalf. See, the Bible says that there was 5,000. But that was just counting the men. The crowd could have easily been triple that. And for 15,000 people... All Jesus got is a sack lunch from a boy who gave everything that he had. See, so often we get caught up in the size of the sacrifice. But friend, what moves the heart of God is not the size of the sacrifice, but instead the heart of the one who is sacrificing. See, take for example the widow who gave two mites. For Jesus says, Assuredly, I say unto you that this poor widow has put in more than all the others, for they gave out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, gave all that she had. See, a little boy had enough faith to give everything he had, and that became the mustard seed for the miracle that Christ was about to perform. Don't wait until your sacrifice feels significant in order to give it. Because God can do more with a broken heart and a contrite spirit than you could ever imagine. If all you got is a broken song this morning, sing it out with healing faith. If all you got is tear-stained eyes, then look full into his wonderful face. It was Dr. Wilson who said, The world puts mountain-sized faith in seed-sized saviors. Things like wealth, prestige, sex. But today, as we gather to pray, sing, read, give, eat, and drink, we put our seed-sized faith in a mountain-sized Savior who always delivers. Who knows? Could it be that the act of you giving your sack lunch triggers all of heaven to rush in and provide for 15,000 who wait on the other side of our obedience. No, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Trust God today with whatever's in your hand. And I love this. 
There wasn't enough food to feed them. But there was enough grass to seat them. See, in the early days of this church, I would set up these chairs in faith, knowing that we didn't have enough people to fill them. Oh, I would preach on this stage to a couple dozen. But when I closed my eyes and prayed, I saw the masses that God was sending. See, oftentimes, God will prepare your seat before he provides your food. But you got to trust God to sit, even when the situation looks hopeless, because you know that there is help that is on the way. Hear me, friend. You don't get the oil on your head or the cup that overflows until you're willing to take a seat at the table he has prepared. Oh, I'm confident if God gives us a stadium of seats, it's because he is sending an abundance of souls. If God gives us a bigger building, it's because he's got a better plan. I know the need seems overwhelming. I know the answers seem far away, but God has never failed us before and he won't start now. Now watch what happens. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. And to the disciples, to those who were sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they had wanted. I want you to watch the pattern. And Jesus takes the loaves, and he gives thanks. Oh, if you'll learn the art of thanking God for the little you have now, in turn, he will trust you with the much that he has in store. I'm here to tell you today, thankfulness is a prophetic act. For when I am thankful with a little, it tells God he can trust me with more. See, thankfulness for the trickle is what unlocks the stream. Thankfulness for the stream is what unlocks the river. Thankfulness for the river is what unlocks the ocean. It's no wonder Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for your life. Let me show you how this works. When God first started doing miracles in our church, I thank God for dumb stuff that people would laugh at. Just about every Sunday I'd get up here and before I preach I'd do testimony time. Oh, I thank God for helping that toilet get unplugged in the men's bathroom. I thank God because our HVAC lasted another week. I thank God because someone donated a vacuum to the church. And before I knew it, I was thanking God for million-dollar offerings, cancer being healed, prodigals getting saved, marriages being restored, and cities being changed. I thanked God when we finally got the trenches dug for our new bathrooms. It didn't look like much, but it was a miracle in motion. I thank God when Lighty showed up from Vegas to help me jackhammer up the kids' ministry. I thanked God when my firstborn baby was able to come home from the NICU after he was born. And watch what the scriptures say. Now, after he gave thanks... He broke the bread and he, he gave it to his disciples. 
say, I believe that if you are willing to give thanks in the midst of your brokenness, God will multiply your seed and turn your tears into a harvest. And that's why you should pay attention to your tears because they point you in the direction of your destiny. On the night Christ was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. When Paul is shipwrecked on Malta, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. When the early church met in houses after Pentecost, they took bread, they gave thanks, and they broke it. No, my situation doesn't dictate my thankfulness. My spirit does. I should be dead. I should be abandoned. I should be in jail. I should be alone. But in the middle of my dark night, in the middle of my shipwrecked life, in the middle of my empty living room, a man named Jesus shared his living bread. And now I've got a reason to rejoice. Oh, the Bible says something very interesting. This wasn't any ordinary bread. It wasn't sourdough bread. It wasn't wheat bread. It wasn't gluten-free bread. Somebody asked me the other day, do you got gluten-free communion? No, the Bible says it was barley bread. As soon as I read that, I thought to myself, where else does the Bible talk about barley bread? And the Lord led me to Judges 7. For Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, Oh, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand God has delivered Midian and the entire camp. Hear me, friend. Your little bag of barley bread isn't just some boring snack. Your little sling with five stones isn't just some simple tool. Your little gift in the offering isn't just an insignificant tithe. It's a sword in the hand of God for the destroying of the enemy's camp. Oh, when God blesses the barley, it becomes a battering ram. When God blesses the barley, it becomes a battle axe. Oh, it might not feel special to me, but if I'll trust God with the Bread, God will strike the devourer, push back the enemy, and multiply his benefit unlike anything we've ever seen before. So then the Bible says this. So when they was filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up, and in fact, they filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. The blessing that comes from trust, the blessing that comes from obedience, the blessing that comes from thankfulness, 
is so extravagant that what is left over is more than what they started with. I don't know about you, but I want a blessing like that. See, when God gets done blessing you, you are filled up, nothing is lost, and you got leftovers to feed those who missed out. I don't know if it's true. But I like to think that the reason there was 12 baskets of leftovers was so that each of the disciples could take a basket home and tell their families, you ain't never going to believe what I just witnessed. See, growing up, the worst thing that you could ever hear when asking what's for dinner is the answer, leftovers from last night. Leftovers from the church potluck. Leftovers from last week. But I actually take great pride in that term today. For there is still some blessings left over in this region. And there's a basket with your name on it. There is still some anointing left over in this city. And friend, there is a basket with our name on it. You may have gotten saved later on in life. You may come out of a broken family or a traumatic upbringing or a difficult church. You may feel like you've squandered every good opportunity you ever had but I'm telling you today God's got something left over for you you're not the runt you're not a second class citizen for if dogs get scraps from the master's table how much more will the heavenly father give unto us and here's where Jesus ends most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. For I am the bread of life. Your fathers, they ate manna in the wilderness, but they're dead. But whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood... They have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. And therefore, many of the disciples, when they heard this, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can accept it? And Jesus transitions from doing a miracle involving bread to making a messianic declaration using the typology of bread. And he declares, I am the bread of life. Don't miss the message this morning. In the same way that this barley bread was blessed broken and multiplied to become provision for the masses. His body was blessed. It was broken and it was multiplied. And in doing so, it became provision for the masses. It will be eternal food for all who are hungry and eternal water for all who are thirsty. You've got to see this. The most extraordinary thing to happen in John 6 is not the feeding of the 5,000. It's Jesus using this miracle as the backdrop for his first messianic declaration. I am the bread of life. The crowds are captivated. 
The disciples are amazed. The religious folks have gathered to observe. The children are running around. The scholars are intrigued. And right in the middle of it, Jesus makes this declaration. Your forefathers, they ate temporary bread in the wilderness, but they died. David ate temporary showbread from the altar, but he died. The crowds, they ate temporary barley bread, but they will die. But I am the eternal fulfillment of these temporary pictures, and I have come that you may be full. For I am the bread of life. See, it's my conviction that there are a lot of Christians who will make heaven, but they won't ever make a dent on history because they have become consumed with allowing their appetite to be satiated by the temporary while they starve the eternal. Oh, friend, come on. We've tried every other thing. You've had every other substance. You've enjoyed every other relationship. You've served every other God. But when you met Jesus, he became the answer to the gnawing hunger in the human soul. He became the fulfillment to your heart's deepest desire. He became the beautiful picture that your life so desired to paint. And in the fullness of time, there was one born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, that we could receive the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba Father and now through his broken body we have healing wholeness and restoration and that's what it means when Jesus says I am the bread of life and the miracle of feeding the 5,000 points to a miracle maker named Jesus. See, some people get a miracle and they worship the outcome instead of the originator. They get real impressed that God multiplied their blessing. They get real impressed that God gave them a spouse they don't deserve. They get real impressed that God gave them an unexpected raise or promotion at that place of employment that they never thought was coming their way. But if you get a miracle and you miss the message, if you get a miracle and you miss the miracle maker, then what you've gotten is his hand, but you've missed out on his heart. And I'm telling you, when Jesus blesses your life, it's not just for you to rejoice in the money. It's not just for you to rejoice in the provision. It's not just for you to rejoice in the breakthrough. It's for you to lift your eyes to heaven for where your help comes from and give thanks to the God who begun your story, who will finish your story, and the God who is not done yet. For Jesus is the bread of life. And 
the story ends in a tragedy. For the Bible says, upon hearing this, many desert him. So Jesus turns to Peter and he asks the question, will you leave as well? And Peter responds in maybe the greatest declaration of faith that there ever is. God, where else are we going to go? For only you have the words of life. Come on, that's the decision we ought to make in this room. Where else am I going to go when I get hurt? Where else am I going to go when I get ticked off? Where else am I going to go when life throws me a curveball? Where else am I going to go when I get disappointed? Where else am I going to go when I get betrayed? Where else am I going to go when I get misabused and lied about and slandered? Where else am I going to go? I can't worship at the altar of my pain. I can't worship at the altar of my disappointment. I refuse to pledge my allegiance to any lesser God. I refuse to give my fidelity to any lesser thing. God, where else am I going to go? For it is only you that has become the resource for my abundant life. I am telling you what Jesus offers you today, no man can offer you. What Jesus offers you today, no political system can offer you. What Jesus offers you today, no relationship can offer you. He offers you living bread that you may be full and never hunger again. That is the goodness of God in the land of the living. And it is made available to you and me through the efficacious atonement and broken body of the one true living king and his name is Jesus come on would you stand with me as we close and in doing so let me pray for you today. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we're asking for your ever-present help in our time of need. For those who have found themselves eating the bread of man, missing out on the bread of God, would you rearrange our spiritual appetite this morning? For those who are far from you but want to draw near today, would you do a work of grace and hope in their hearts and minds? For those who find themselves at the end of their rope, may God, would you instill an endurance that hangs on through the dark night of the soul. God, I thank you that what you offer us is exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. And God, today, we make the decision to partner with what you freely give, to give thanks for what we have already received, yet open our hearts for the abundant blessing that comes from heaven alone. We say, God, do your best work in us. And we give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor. In the powerful name of the bread of life, King Jesus, all God's people said, Amen.